Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another, games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. Very exciting guest this week. I'm joined by Edmund McMillan, uh, creator of uh, Super Meat Boy and The Binding of Isaac and the star of indie game The Movie, and probably the biggest kind of video game celebrity I've had on the show so far, if uh, if that isn't too much of an oxymoron. Um, this is an amazing chat. I really thoroughly enjoyed talking to, to Edmund, and I think it was his first interview for a, for a good while, so it was really good to just just hear from him and, you know, hear about what he's working on. Well, not much about what he's working on. It's in secret, but, like, you know, it, it comes up in the show. We talk about how... People, people don't necessarily know an awful lot about the, the people behind video games. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this show so much. And Edmund is one of the, the rare exceptions because of the, the success of Indie Game the Movie. But um, as he mentions in the, in the episode, people kind of assume his life kind of finished at the end of that movie. But he's gone on to do all kinds of wonderful stuff. This is a, yeah, it's a brilliant chat. Um, and if you do enjoy it, please do uh, share it around. It is always massively appreciated, you know. Tell a friend about it, uh, put a note on Facebook or, or Twitter or just, you know, generally get get the word out there because, you know, I'm always looking to, to reach more people. I think the show is, is really good. I'm really very proud of it. So the more people that get a chance to listen to it, um, the, the happier I am. And you can rate and review on iTunes. I know I said not to rate and review on iTunes because I couldn't justify what difference it makes, but you may as well because it's still numbers going up and, you know, I love video games. I love numbers going up. <laughs> Um, if you want to get in touch, you can email the show. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at checkpointsshow on Twitter or it's forward slash checkpointspodcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Um, I'm still looking to hear from uh, new devs as well. I'm hoping to put together a show kind of uh, probably come out in January sometime, um, which is going to be just all kind of people who are just starting or have just made one game. Um, so please do get in touch. I've, I've had a few uh, inquiries about it. So uh, I'm very excited to to keep going with it, but if if you if, you know if you want to just throw your hat in the ring, please do let me know, and we'll have a, a quick chat and add it to the the pile. Um, so like the year is uh, almost there. It's not really almost done, but I was looking at all the interviews that I've done, and I've kind of got quite a lot in the bank now. So um, what day is it today? It's the twentieth. I know there'll be one more November episode, but December. Uh, it basically every episode in December is going to be from somebody who has made and released a game this year uh, that, that I really enjoyed. Um, and th- yeah, that'll be fun. So yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep this brief. But as always, thanks so much for, for downloading the episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you uh, continue to listen and do dig back in the archives. There's some uh, amazing chats with some amazing people. And if you enjoy it, please do tell a friend. Actually, yeah, I should also plug the Patreon. If you do really enjoy it, I have a, a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Um, if you have the money and the inclination, uh, every donation is is greatly appreciated. Uh, like last week, for instance, I released uh, an autosave episode all about an event in Edinburgh called Games Are For Everyone. And you know, that was genuinely quite a lot of work to put together. And, uh, you know, but, uh, but it's local, so I can I can go to Edinburgh on a train. That's not that big of a deal. But um, the more I'm able to sort of make any money from the show, I'm, I'm, I'll put that right back into the show and do more 
ever more elaborate autosave episodes. Okay, that's enough. Thanks again for listening. Um, I will be back next week with a new show and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show. Um, also, so far so good. I'm pretty happy good. with what's going I'm, on. I'm delighted with that. Um, before we go off on a tangent, because I, I definitely want to ask you about your toilet, um, we'll do a, I'll, I'll do a formal introduction. So, so Edmund, okay. welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on to chat. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? I am Edmund McMillan. Um, people mostly know me from a movie I was in called Indie Game the Movie, um, and a game that I made via that movie, well, not really via that movie, but in the movie, and uh, called Super Meat Boy. And um, if you don't know me from that, you know me from The Binding of Isaac. Um, and if you're one of, like, a handful of people in the world, you know me from the 30 other games I made before that. Yeah, I'm particularly a fan of the, the seal clubbing game. Um, that was That was my first game. <laughs> I'm, I've, I've done my research, Edmund. I'm, I'm really interested in the way that you, you ordered those things then, that you put Indie Game the Movie at the top, because that, that's not how I would have done it. Is that Do you just well, find that's, that's, that's because your, that's just... That's your experience with me. And I suppose, yes. Grand scheme of things, um, I think that's how most people know me. Like, still, like... Do you really think, like, people more people me? saw the movie than played the game? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, for sure. I find for that sure. super it was a, surprising. It was, a, it was a Netflix. It was a, it was a critically acclaimed, free Netflix movie about video game development that was actually good, and it won Sundance Award. So a lot of people saw it. Maybe, maybe like, there are people that there are people that come up to me on the street and they've just seen the movie and they think that that's exactly where you know time left me. Like right when they quit the movie, that was oh. <laughs> Then they start asking me, "Oh, so did it did it do well? You know, are you working on anything else?" And it's like, "Oh, it's been like what four or five years." Um, yeah, I've made other things. That's but yeah, crazy. Majority of people who notice me on the street, who've seen me from the movie, have no clue that I did anything after that. Does that bother you? No, not, not that they didn't. That that they don't. You know, assume you've done more things, but that you you would be more known for that than for the game. No, I mean, I kind of knew that going in. I had a, I had a. The, the filmmakers were really good, and they seem to... It sounds weird, but they're actually one of a few different teams of documentarians that documented me around that time. There was, okay. like, this weird bubbling, um, I guess, people were, like, uh, hearing about this indie scene, you know, these, these people that were becoming millionaires and, and whatever. Yeah. And uh, I started getting contacted by a bunch of different people, and this was the one group that I, I was like, oh, like they'll be the ones that kind of do this right. Like, I, I knew right away that they... Just from, like, their demeanor they, or the way they talked about it. Yeah, yeah, them. the way that they were approaching this was very, very similar to how we were approaching the game, making the game and releasing the game. And I really kind of got that idea early on that, like, this was going to be really interesting because our development cycles were going to mirror each other. Our experiences were going to mirror each other. Um, there was oh, just amazing. kind of like this cool. Yeah. I just, I just had a feeling and it just seemed too perfect. It seemed too um, serendipitous almost like it just seemed 
like, oh, you know, this is going to work, and these they're going to get it because they're doing the same thing. That's that's like, super interesting, and yeah. they see that yeah. on the from the other point of view. Now I don't know, you know, I followed obviously every, everyone who all the the creators of the <laughs> movie, but I don't know what the people who made the movie went on to do. Their lives may well have ended, but that's very much my own echo chamber, you know. Yeah. I'm going to look that up now, though, because I'm you, you've made me intrigued. Um, I, they're working on stuff now, but I don't think they want anybody to know about it right now. Okay, <laughs> I'll give it. Well, I'll give them some space. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to hand them. <laughs> um, so, so here's what I wanted to ask you about. I, I mentioned this in the email. Uh, your, your bathroom is incredible, like genuinely hey. a stunning thing. Um, you only got like a like a, a fourth of it, like less than a fourth of the bathroom. I, I, I showed it to for two and a half years. I showed it to my girlfriend, and she her, her her joke. Well, it wasn't really a joke. It was a it was a very astute observation. Was that it looks like the kind of bathroom my mum would have uh, if, if she'd had that many uh, different kinds of <laughs> Christian paraphernalia to hang over the walls. Uh, wh- it look, why? It, it, it's it's reminiscent of my. Um, in a lot of ways, it's both uh, a collection of things that I find really interesting, and also an echo of my grandmother's bedroom. Yeah. So, so she had, she, she, um, is Mexican or was Mexican Catholic. And, um, so there was this like Catholic, but with an air of, um, of, of, uh, what's the word? Not creepy, but like, uh, it's, it's like a Santeria type, yeah, air. absolutely. An air, an air of mysticism is the word I was going for. Yeah, um, and uh, I always thought that was super interesting. I mean, growing up with a lot of like religious influence um, that were kind of speaking the same language but saying different things. Um, growing up having a lot, all these different sides, I, I would kind of pick and choose the things that I enjoyed. And yeah, um, and the Catholic side that my my grandmother was bringing was definitely really creative and inspiring. So there was kind of like a, I don't know, like a lot of people see it and they think it's either sacrilegious or why is it in the bathroom? It's in the bathroom because it was the most appropriate and it was the smallest room that I could decorate in a way that I, I mean, it's spilling out, like it's spilling (laughs) out all, (laughs) all around the outer bathroom walls and it's kind of going everywhere. But, um, I always wanted to be able to do that. And I, um, didn't really have the option to, to do that in a, but I didn't have any money and I lived in an apartment. So yeah. Um, I only wish that I grew up with more uh, exotic crucifixes around my house. There was a lot of crucifixes, <laughs> but sadly nothing, nothing that elaborate. Uh, there's some wonderful pieces in there. Um, I, grew, I grew up with a picture of Jesus on my wall. Me too. Um, me too. Really like, but really graphic, really bloody. And, um, the most disturbing part was I have uh, very vivid memories uh, being little before I understood what that was a picture of. And I thought it was my dad because <laughs> my dad had that look. I mean, my dad had that like hippie, you know, hippie white guy look that, that seems to be, you know, the popular yeah, Jesus uh, look. It's one of those things though, like where like, I, I, I obviously go back home and see my mom often and in the living room, there is literally like where you would normally find like a big family portrait. There is just a massive picture of Jesus, uh, the sacred <laughs> heart of Jesus, and the, a bunch of cherubs all around him. And only yeah. like only probably about ten years ago did I start thinking, Do you know, that's a bit weird. Well, that's a weird thing to have in, in your <laughs> house. 
Like, if, yeah. if I had experienced that kind of... If I went to somebody's house now and saw that, I'd be like, what? What is that? Um, it's, it's weird how those things... It becomes just completely embedded into your... It's just it's normal. It's perfectly normal. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's, get, let's get back on video games in Edmund. Um, if you can remember... What was your very first experience of a video game? Oh, I, I have a vivid memory of my first video game. It was um, um, a handheld football game when I was about three or four that my, my dad had and would always play. It was quite literally like these little rectangles. It, like the, a game the, and watch? Yeah, it was like a game and watch, but way more primitive. Like, um, So the controller actually looked like a football field. I don't even know what it's called, but I'm sure you can Google it and find it. But it looked like a football field. It was brown. It was very, like, late 70s. Wait, and this, like, is, this is American football, just to clarify for the, yes. the British viewers. Yeah. Okay. The pigskin, as they call it. <laughs> yeah. The old... I don't know anything about football. Anyway. No, I need to um, try. <laughs> so there's, there's one dot that's you, and you can go up, down, left, right. And then there's, like, six dots on the other side of the field that are moving towards you, like, turn-based almost. Like okay. Boom, boom, boom. And then you're just trying to navigate through them. That's it. That was all it was. I'm pretty sure, anyway, to, to my memory. And that was the first game I ever played. And was it, I like, my, a profound thing for you? No. No? Nope. There was nothing about video games that were that profound um, for me at all. I played video games a lot. Never seemed like an option for me to do as a career or anything. And it never really... I mean, it had as much of an impact on me as I think any kid growing up around my age. Um, you know, I was the last kid on my block to get a Nintendo, um, so I always had to go and play my friends' Nintendos and have a bunch of stories about breaking into friends' houses and getting caught playing Nintendo. But um, oh, you need to tell me one of those stories. <laughs> see, but but see, no, you're saying oh, they're, 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 it's no big deal. Like you know, oh, they're just you know, they're they're just a thing, the same as I, I guess comic books and and toys yeah, and like, stuff. But you're 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 breaking into other people's houses to play them, so they clearly must have had some sort of magnetism well, around them. them. I mean, it was yeah. I guess there was. I I guess I'm assuming that everybody else had the same magical experience that I did with video games. Um, but they weren't like when I think back, like movies and music were more influential and impactful yeah. on me um, than, than video games. There were video games were like the least artistic thing that i was like inspired by but definitely as a kid it was like super compelling yeah um, you just you wanted and yes I, I i wanted to play and i i you know growing up poor you don't have as many options to get these things and you'd have to go and borrow friends games and i mean there, there was there was a social aspect i guess to it in the in the yeah. uh in the mid 80s mid late 80s nintendo era like borrowing friends cartridges and and uh I used to rent Nintendos. You could, there were a few places you could actually rent Nintendos with games. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, my mom would sometimes, if I was really good, would rent me. I think it was seventeen dollars to rent a Nintendo and three dollars to rent a game or something or two games. Um, so it was like twenty bucks on the and you get it for two days on the weekend. That's not I remember, too bad. I remember, yeah, I remember playing Goonies, Goonies Two, as it were. Um, that one being a big one and not having any clue what the hell I was doing. Um, <laughs> I rented a lot of video games growing up. Um, didn't own many, but yeah, eventually, weirdly, yeah, we had a guy who he used to deliver them in a van. He'd drive around. He'd like leave you a, a kind of a sheet of all the games available, and then you'd sort of phone up and pick them, and then he'd just come and deliver them for a couple of days. It was that bizarre. is amazing. It was amazing. 
but I would like because they were so rare and like even you know I didn't have any money growing up. That was that was a big deal like to get a rental game. So what I would do is go through every single magazine that I had because I had, like collected all the video game magazines <laughs> and just just to to guarantee that I was definitely making the correct choice because if you didn't you were screwed. You had a terrible game for a couple of days. Did you have those experience with a lot of the Nintendo games where the instruction manual was crucial yeah, to understand yes, anything yes. about the game at all? I, I used to have nightmare scenarios where it was like riding my bike all the way across town to rent I think it was I think it was Frankenstein. And I thought, you know, platformer or something, right? Yeah. And it was like I don't think I could get past the first level. I had no idea what was going on. I was so frustrated. And I had to ride my bike back there and explain <laughs> that I didn't have an instruction manual and I had no idea how to play. I um, had that with uh, with Snake Rattle and Roll on the on Snake the Rattle and Roll is so awesome. It's amazing. But it, was, one, it was the first uh, game that was like three D and the, uh, probably true. the first game I played, and I, I just I just did not know how it worked. I didn't know what I was supposed to do because it. But I remember vividly because I didn't know where to go because every game I played so far had been either kill everything on the screen or go from yeah. one side of the screen to the other. And then this is like, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do here. Did you ever play Millen's Secret Castle? No, never heard of that. All right, that was another one that I rented without instructions, and I was totally what the fuck is going on? And then I later <laughs> found out that it's called that because everything about it is just secrets. It's like, in order to progress, you have to shoot the 10th block up on the left. Or you have to stand on a block for three seconds. Like, every little aspect of it is some dumb, doesn't teach you anything, like, random that you have to do. And I was so clueless and frustrated by that game. I returned that one, too. <laughs> But but like as much as they were, you know, a, a, another kind of disposable entertainment that, that as much as much sort of kids had, they I'm assuming they would have been kind of ever present though. Like you would have just continued to grow with them essentially. Yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I was that perfect pocket of like, um, I did own an Atari. I own an Atari. Most people owned um, NESs. I remember playing. Um, Pitfall was like one of my favorites. Pitfall, Hero, and Pac-Man. Um, played the hell out of those, and uh, yeah, I definitely played a lot of video games. I, I, I got more into them around the Super Nintendo era once I had more friends who were super, super into. I had a, a friend who always sold at the at the flea market, okay, uh, like a swap meet or whatever. I don't know what you guys call them over there, but um, and uh, his dad always sold there, so he had this high turnover, so he would basically. Every week he'd have a bunch of new games or even a new system, and he would always just do even trades with people there, like other kids that were there. And his dad would, you know, get his hands on weird, rare games and stuff. And he, uh, his name was AJ, and he kind of uh, got me deeper into video games, and I kind of got into that whole trade system. You know, I'll tra- I, I remember trading in my Genesis and 15 games for a Super Nintendo and two games. Oh, like, I mean that that all depends on the games, whether or not that was a good it, it, deal. It was it was legit. I think it was just it was literally um, the Mario game that it came with and uh, Legend of Zelda. Oh, that's see that they're, they're pretty seminal games. So that's a good deal. Yeah, I mean that was it was totally worth it. I mean it, most of what I had on on the Genesis was just garbage. I had like lots of movie tie-ins. I had this weird game about it was like a fighting game where there was a fat guy with a mouth on his stomach that would like stick his tongue out. 
I don't remember what it was called, but it I was totally. I totally know that. I totally, and it was was it not something to do with like crystals or something? Each of them had like a specific crystal. Those different. I, yeah, they all crystals. had different specific abilities. It was just a totally generic Street Fighter ripoff that was terrible. Yeah, I mean there was there was a ton of those amazing Street Fighter ripoffs around the sort of <laughs> mid nineties. It was amazing, golden age. Um, but so, yeah, I, I think I do think the Super Nintendo era was like when I really got in to uh games and is that because like as you said because of like just your your friendship group around games like was it very much yeah i think it was i think it was that like i some of the, my fondest memories growing up i think were like i remember i think it was for my 13th birthday maybe 12 or 13th birthday that me and my friends um just played mario kart until um six in the morning didn't sleep That's so good. That's that was about the time where I, yeah where i got pretty into it but we did did it still feel like oh this is a bit not embarrassing well and actually no it would at that sort of age like it'd be like oh well this isn't this is definitely not what the cool kids do you know we should be playing sports <laughs> no, or I wasn't something cool. I, I wasn't remotely cool no of course not no i'm, I'm sure so then became heroin sports, that's pretty cool i guess i don't know um <laughs> but uh, i don't know yeah no, i definitely wasn't a kid that was much very concerned about that yeah, it just you didn't care. No, not at all. I did, I never gave a flying fuck about much of anything growing up. When it came <laughs> to how other people perceived me. I was totally out for fun, and I didn't care how I was going to have it. And uh, I had a pretty good range of friends, uh, many of which people would consider quite cool. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm dork- dorking it up with the cool kids. That that's that's the best way to be. I think that's the best way to be. Um. So, but but was it like what I'm kind of getting at there was, is did games feel very much like a thing that you and your friends did as opposed to just something that everybody did, which I think is probably more common now. Um, specific types of games, maybe like, uh, there is definitely like how how much of a nerd am I going to end up being? And I was going balls to the wall when it came to that. <laughs> like I was the, there, there were the kids that played, you know, Mario Kart on the weekends or whatever. And then there were the kids that played, you know, Duke Nukem 3D instead of recess in high school. Yeah. And I was one of those kids. And, um, I was one of the kids that played descent and heretic and doom via, you know, modem, uh, with my friends and stuff, so I was pretty pretty deep in there, and I didn't really, yeah, like it was fun. I was, and I went even further. I mean, I was the kid that would be making. I was the kid that made levels based off my school, and would put teachers in specific classrooms so you could go around and kill them. I was one of those one of those kids. Yeah, I mean that that is which was be- it was before Columbine. Exactly. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, it sounds horrible right now, but it's, it wasn't then. Every every fucking person that I knew that was my age that made mods um, and levels made their school and did the exact same thing. Of course they did. Yeah, and uh, like this has come up on the show a few times with different devs. Like so it's about people who you know around their age and and they would. Of course you do that. Like that that's the, that, that's an obvious thing to do, but it's just. It's so menacing in retrospect. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's bizarre. But, you know, we did that. We had a, a school and a friend of mine made our local pub in, in Half-Life, which was amazing. You could have death matches around this bar that we'd go and drink in later. Um, it was so good. So so when did you kind of 
um, graduate to the PC, I suppose? Um, again, late because, you know, situations financially. Yeah. Um, my, my cousin was the first person to show me Doom, um, and Doom was the first PC game that I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I need this. Like, this is my kind of game. Um, and uh, I ended up begging and pleading for... If, if you remember, there was a mod for the Genesis called the 32X. I do, yeah, I do. Okay, and that was the only system that I knew of that wasn't a PC that had Doom on it. Yep. And that's all I wanted. It was fucking quite literally the shareware version of Doom. Like, it was only the first chapter. And um, I got it on 32X and I played the shit out of that. That was, you know, and that was my first personal experience where I got to sit down with, with Doom and, and, and go nuts with it, but I didn't get. I don't think I actually got my own, or my family didn't get a, a PC, which was quite literally mine. I was the one pushing for it, and I was basically the only one using it. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I would say when I was 14, 94. Yeah. 94, 95? No, 95. Can't remember. Have you still got the 32X? That's a, no. that's a rare piece of kit. No, yeah. I, no. For, for good reason, probably, but nevertheless. <laughs> I yeah. had Doom did actually come out on the the Super Nintendo eventually, which was the yeah. the version that I had, and that was oh, it was a really excellent conversion. Like no any yeah, was I, fast. I did go back and play. But... I played that. Um, I think I played it on an emulator on a DS recently, and I thought it was pretty damn good. Yeah, no, it's it's very impressive. Um, so how how was the the PC? Was that like a, a, a game changer for you? Um, kind of. Um, I remember. The first games that I actually played on it were um, Diablo. Uh, Fallout was a huge one. Um, the the shareware version of Fallout, which had nothing to do with Fallout, it was its own like little mini. Did you play it at all? The, the I don't think one? so. So it was just a town. It was a it was a town of maybe like a few houses with a few missions you could do, and let you just go nuts. And uh, in the end, you could just mow everybody down and kill all the the cows and, and whatever else but again my, my cousin's like you need to play this game and i was like oh shit it was the coolest thing ever <laughs> um, that diablo and i got in some of the old games like XCOM. yeah um i love that one descent and heretic and uh hexen and Duke descent was one of those games that i i think i got when we got our first pc and i just i just couldn't do it like it was it's one of those few games that just like snake rat on roll i guess it was just like it was, oh, where i supposed to be was, going where do i go it was super complicated it was really confusing too like uh and it was but, the only know. game i had for ages and i was like come on like i, I need to think this out and i just couldn't do it i ended up getting I, some weird I played, that, I, played that game, I played that game over the phone uh a few times with friends it was pretty fun like deathmatch yeah. Oh god, I imagine that being nightmarish because it's like a full. You've got you know, you've got full rotation. Oh yeah. Once you get it, once you get into it, it's. I, I remember it being like nothing after a while. And that was clearly. But, your, other than that, like my experience with the computer was those games and pornography. Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was. So every that was, that every growing boy yeah. needs clearly. Yeah. I mean, it went. It literally went from. That's the thing that I think most kids these days have no understanding of. It went from the tiny chance walking the railroad tracks that I would see a naked boob on a piece of paper on the ground, um, 
and then suddenly pornography at my fingertips at any, any point in time. I mean, you still have to download it for days, <laughs> but uh, it was still there. Um, and that These was kids uh, don't know the patience. Honestly, they have no. They have no idea. This actually, this brings me to uh, an interesting place because um, doing my research, I was looking through like a, the, a bunch of the games that you'd made, a lot of the old Flash games, and one of them uh, had a reference to a website that I had not thought about for probably 17 years, which was Style Project. <laughs> yeah, the Style Project. Uh -huh. Like I, that, that was like my destination website for probably like about a year. But, you know, it was when I was about 17, so that probably felt like a lifetime. And then I've just yeah. I've not thought about it for, for years and years. And I realized you've made a game uh, incorporating style. Yeah, I think I actually got paid for that. I think I did that for him. I, I worked I worked for him uh, a few no different way. times. I made comics. Yeah, I made comics for the Style Project. And um, I made the dress-up style game. Um, and uh, was, you know, on and off friendish with him and i may even have played that game at the time I'm, I'm almost certain i did because i would have been there every day and it's just it's he, he supported my memory. stuff and like you know when you're making when you're at that point in time when you're making weird stuff you know my stuff was weird not as weird as some of the stuff that was on his website but no. weird and i didn't have any other sites that i could you know that would support what i was doing aside from maybe Newgrounds. and uh you gotta you gotta ally with 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 some people some but I, I feel like that was i mean again maybe this is just you know i'm i'm assuming everybody else how everybody else's experience was the same as mine but at that point on the internet because the internet was so new and it, like everything was weird and gross and, and that was kind of almost the point of it it was like here are all these things that you'd never get to see any other way that is true and maybe that's just the sort of teenager in me just seeking out that but that that to me like in that, in those kind of first three or four years of being on the internet, I probably saw just so much horrific stuff uh, that, that's, that that's I've never seen true. for the past like in the twenty in the twenty years since, however. Yeah, when I think when I think back at like, I think when I was um, twelve or thirteen, my uh, I had to have been thirteen. My high school, um, like a freshman, I guess maybe, but um, my school got internet. And the first thing I did, it was before I had internet at home, was I went on searching for something, and then I I heard about this website called Rotten.com. Yeah, exactly, Ron. Like that was one of the pillars of the early internet, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. And I'm like, I'm. It's insane now to think that I'm sitting in a school library, looking at pictures of like there was this graphic murder scene where two people murdered their um, landlord. Yep, and like stuck his fingers in his nose, and stuff. I mean, it's just sitting there. I'm just sitting there casually looking at it, like, oh, that's crazy. <laughs> and like, I don't, I, I would not search this out at this point in time in my life. I do not. That's not something. No, that's no, I, I don't think I'd have the heart for it anymore. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's just weird to think that at that point in time that was almost laughable to me, but now. Never in a million years would I ever want to see anything like that. No, no I'd be appalled. I'd be reporting that person. Like we used actually to do... have memories of seeing. There's also a picture of a girl crapping in somebody's mouth, and yes. I remember seeing that going, "Oh my god!" and freaking out back then. But now, if I saw that, if if those two pictures were side by side, murder and poop, I would be like, "Ah, poop, whatever." Murder, <laughs> no, don't want to see that. It's just how times change. Absolutely. Right? 
Oh, God. Poop, poop is like nothing anymore. <laughs> and it's like, murder. oh, come on, no. <laughs> no the, thanks, murder. It's the parental instincts that has changed your, uh, your brain. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm sick of poop. Don't show me any murder. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, so when when did you start getting the the bug to start making stuff? Then was that when you would have started doing Doom levels and things, or Quake levels? I guess so. I mean, I I think some of my earliest memories of like being creative, I didn't realize I was even doing much. Like, um, I remember getting in a really big fight with one of my best friends because I went over to his house, and instead of hanging out with him, I wanted to make his house in in uh, Duke Nukem 3D, and he was really bored and he just wanted him and I used to make movies and stuff together, like cool. uh, weird home movies. And, um, I always wanted to do just fun, creative stuff with him. And I guess this was more of just, you know, I was just sitting there in front of the computer and he got really, really mad at me. We got in a big fight about it because I was just glued. But, um, yeah, I would say like making levels. Um, I tried my best to DM, some D and D games back in the day. Okay, I would come up with these really elaborate um, quests that I had all mapped out on paper, and nobody saw them um, because whenever my friends would finally come over, you know, we'd start playing, and then someone would goof off and be like, "I want to fight that him," and like, "Oh, okay," and you know, then it just go into chaos, and they just didn't really care. But um. Yeah, that, I feel like you need to be a lot older to do Dungeons and Dragons. That's something I yeah. tried as a kid, and it just none of us could ever get our heads around it. I think now <laughs> yeah. would be a much better time to do it, but everybody's, you know, having kids and stuff. But uh, yeah, I got I played around with this program called Click and Play. Okay. And there was another program that used ASCII art. Um, once again, made my school. Um, and uh, you infiltrated the school, and you had to kill one of the teachers. As, as, <laughs> as um, and comics and that was kind of like my go-to but I, yeah i didn't think anything of anything i was doing like it just seemed like what kids do yeah it's interesting because it, again this is kind of very much kind of early internet that you you could get access to sort of software that you never would have had before stuff that wouldn't have been you know automatically on your computer so you'd be able to get stuff like fruity loops for instance and just like, oh, okay <laughs> i guess i'll learn how to sequence and i'm sure there's yep. loads of like big um, musical artists now that, that that's how they got started you know the equivalent of finding an old guitar in a cupboard and going oh I guess I'll just do this I've got nothing else to do you know it's, it, yeah, it, that's you super just build true. that like, kind of that skill and knowledge just by kind of playing around because you've got nothing else to do the, the guy that I used to um, make movies and stuff with he um, eventually became a musician and he would fiddle around with Fruity Loops around that time and um, he ended up making the soundtrack for Time Fuck how amazing um, yeah so yeah for sure and so what was because you made loads of, of flash games that was clearly like your your kind of way in um yeah. was it was it just was it just the, the 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 immediate feedback from that that kept you doing it like what was it that yeah, made you I, do yeah, more and sure. more yeah. or you know it was like i went from so for from the age of like 15 to 19 so when i turned 19 is when i started doing flash games and, yeah. and uh, flash interactive stuff and i had a website um and uh so for from 15 to 19 i just obsessively made comics and um i don't know maybe i made like 12 comics um over the course of those years 
um, and I would release them locally. Uh, I didn't really make money, but I made enough money to like keep making them. Yeah. But it was frustrating because I couldn't get feedback. Like I, my friends would say, "Oh, it's funny," or "Oh, you know, that's upsetting," or "That's weird." And uh, <laughs> I, I just didn't get. Wait till you see Rotten dot com. Yeah, I didn't get I didn't get the kind of uh, instant feedback that yeah. I really really desperately wanted, and uh, and it wasn't until uh, like 2000 where I was like, oh, um, like I could if I learn how to make a website, I can put all my stuff on said website and direct people to it, and then they can give me feedback, and then they can just give me some response, like give me some validation. Something that shows that you saw what I did. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be positive. Doesn't you know anything? I yeah. just want some recognition that somebody saw my work. And um, and once that yeah, once that started to snowball, it was just like nonstop. It was obsessive. Like I didn't sleep. I would <laughs> do total sleep deprivation stuff. Like around that time, I was living with my grandma, um, and actually just starting to date um, my my wife and. Uh, that's all I did. I just didn't, I, I hung out with my wife during the day and then at night I didn't sleep. <laughs> I just stayed up all night long, uh, on my grandma's dial up and, uh, well she was, you know, she's asleep. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm free to use the phone all night long. And, uh, was making, it surprising to you? Shit. Like, were you, surpri- was, was it surprising? Like initially when you first started doing it, were you expecting that or were you just kind of, I'll oh, just play around with this, see, see what I can make. Were you kind of surprised um, at the kind of the feedback you were getting? I actually, uh, I knew something was up when, so actually I, I took, um, one of the first classes that I took in college was an introduction to Flash. They actually had a class. There was like a few classes. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like I just got out of high school. I actually just left art college. I went to art college for a few weeks and I, um, didn't have the money to continue because the, the, um, the grants and, and whatever else that I had were all finicky and they wanted okay. specific things. Um, so I decided, okay, I'll go to a community college. And um, they were like, oh, well, you need to do all these prereqs. And I was like, okay, I did those at another school. I just lied so I could take all these more advanced <laughs> classes. And I took um, HTML, Dreamweaver, um, and Flash and Photoshop. It was just, And I just took those because I just wanted to learn so I could make my own website. That's all I cared about. And that's all I did. And I failed all those classes except for Flash. And um, I maybe passed one of the other ones. But I, in Flash, I got an A. And I got an A because I, I enjoyed fucking with the teacher. There was this kind of obsession with, like, she would ask us to do these projects. And I would purposefully go out of my way to do something really weird. Um, <laughs> for and instance. I did this thing called... The back, it was called the backup files of, of Freddy the Robot, where it was this, it, it was, I think the instruction was like, make a point and click resolve type situation where if somebody clicks something, something else happens, and then they close, it's like an open window, close window thing. And okay. it was super simple, but what I did for that was I made, I made this floating pile of guts, and you click on different parts of it, of it. And it pops up these weird stories, which were memories stored in the different parts of this person's body. And they were just totally bizarre improvised stories that were really weird. Um, and 
I just thought, how funny would it be for this teacher who's this professional to be <laughs> reading this stuff? <laughs> and I just thought it was super entertaining, so I did it. And she gave me an A on the project, and I was like, okay. And then from then on, and like, I think the next one I did was like, it was supposed to be interactive with sound, and it was called The Pond. I think that one's still online, too, somewhere. Um, and it was, um, you could point and click on stuff, and you it was it was just like a... a a creek it looked like a creek kind of okay uh, and you click on the water and it would make ripples and it would make a sound like a drop 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 but if you clicked a very specific point in it it would do kind of a jump scare of like this this um it was an actual image of a dead person's face <laughs> and it would scream in the water and go like um wasn't super as graphic as you'd think but because i did it all like that trace bitmap um look uh, well, you've got your so Photoshop was, module as well, so yeah. But uh, yeah, and I got an A on that. So like, it was kind of the reaction which got me going, and then I ended up putting all those projects up online, and then kind of continuing it from there. But that, I kind of just left school after that. I like felt like I learned enough <laughs> that semester, um, and I and I got more gratification from uh, putting stuff online and getting the kind of reactions, and that's when I found Newgrounds. And, and so, I started uploading all my stuff there. And so, with, with the games, was it like, um, were you were you doing the same thing essentially? Were you just trying to make weird stuff for people, or did you like? When did it kind of shift to being like, oh, do you know, I, I, like, I want to make a really good game as opposed to just a fun, there were a few, funny thing? There were a few big shifts. Like, I didn't. I can honestly say that I didn't even think I was making games for quite a long time. Didn't even know. Like, I didn't even know people consider what I was doing to be games until I started working with Alex, um, uh, which was their chronic logic. He, he made a game called bridge builder way back in the day in the early two thousands. Okay. And, uh, I found out about it through my BBS on my website. People were talking about it and playing it. It was like a freeware game physics based. And, um, randomly later, a few years later found out that, his company, which was just him and another guy, um, they were just down, they were in Santa Cruz and they were just literally down the street from my house. And I tried to get a job there doing um, cover box art and stuff like that, just art in general, because they didn't seem to have any art for their games. It was all just programmer placeholder art. Okay. Uh, and it opened this kind of new world. Like I found out about this thing called the IGF, which was the Independent Games Festival. Um, when I found out about it, they were on their second or possibly third no second um and it, back then it was literally 20 30 people that were kind of getting together and talking to each other and making indie games you can't you couldn't make a fucking dime off of anything like there was just <laughs> there was there was no money to be had back then um but there was these like pop cap and stuff like that were like starting up and um George Fan, who later made Plants vs. Zombies, had this game called Insane Aquarium, which won the IGF a few years before I ended up entering. Um, but that kind of opened... It was like, oh, wait. like People respect this as an art form. There's a community for it. It seems so untouched. It seems so limitless. Like I, could, I felt like it felt so inspiring because I felt like we were all in the even playing field. Yeah. We were all kind of going in. Even though, you know, video games have been around for ages, the way the vocabulary people were using, the way people were 
experimenting felt so avant-garde and um, interesting to me that it was like, hey, I want, I want a piece of this. Like I absolutely, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing that. I've been, I've been dancing around that with, with my, my work in the past, and you know, maybe I could do something cool. And uh, uh, basically, Alex kind of showed me the ropes when it came to what making indie games was. And that there is a possibility of making some money and possibly a living off of it. Um, so it was so almost impossible to do back then. But yeah, um, you know, a year after meeting him, we ended up releasing Gish, and uh, it made enough money for me to pay rent for a year or two. That's amazing. So that was pretty pretty damn awesome. And it was really kind of got me into the groove. Like I guess I kind of found my uh, people really. Yeah. Like for years, I was staying up indefinitely obsessively working <laughs> on dumb projects that were going nowhere of mine and i found found all these people that were doing the same dumb things and it was like hey like this is cool like i'm not alone yeah absolutely that's that uh, must have been so exciting like but around about this time as well it was all like i remember kind of early 2000s um games in general just got seemed to me to get a lot more exciting there seemed to be a real seismic shift in what games could do both in terms of like you know your big sort of triple a stuff like i think the first 3d grand theft auto came out and things and yeah ico and, but you had like weird stuff like res and all the kind of the bimani rhythm action games i was obsessed with rhythm action around then and like seaman and things on the the dreamcast it, yeah. just, it just seemed to be like this wild kind of experimental growth it was really exciting and wario where came out around that yeah, time too. Exactly, there was a yeah. lot of like it was, I think, in a way, it was um, aside from Grand Theft Auto, it was kind of this influx of weird Japan. Like, it seemed like a, a lot of um, Japanese games got really out there again and experimental. Yeah. Uh, maybe it ebbs and flows with them. I don't know, but um, yeah, it definitely was. And a lot of people were, for a while, they were experimenting with stuff. I mean, even Katamari later was phenomenal. There, yeah, there was just there was a lot of creativity, a lot of really cool things. Um, but did did but, uh, what I'm thinking is like if, if you're outside of like the indie stuff, did your appreciation of games start to change? Like, did you? I mean, certainly the, the I mentioned stuff like Rares and Ico, and that to me felt like a real kind of shift yeah. away from me just like as games as being this nerdy thing that I was maybe a little bit embarrassed about to me becoming like an evangelist like look look at what games can do they're finally living up to this potential and you know the the the, the horizon is limitless almost yeah I, I think it seemed like a natural progression for me i mean there's like like with grand theft auto there's still echoes of doom you know what i mean and like even with with ico there's still echoes of legend of zelda there's like there's little pepperings of seriousness i hate to yeah. use the word seriousness but you know non-traditional business game uh themes in a lot of classic staples um that that say something um even if it's a tiny bit yeah and i feel like i feel like it was just a lot of people being inspired by those you know basically miyamoto games um and being like he did so much and I can take where he was leaning towards more personal things or more 
interesting things um and i can kind of go further with them and that's basically where i was standing too it was like yeah you you kind of i think i did i think i did kind of go back and dissect the classics like why are these games good obviously they're functionally great um but there's something about them too that's feels personal feels unique um is just different from other games yeah and I think a lot of that was just like experimental avant-garde art that may have even been completely unintentional, but you can't really stop an artist from making art. Yeah. And I think that's how it works with with game designers. You can't you can't silence the inner voice. If 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 somebody is is an artist, they're gonna they're gonna put in the themes and they're gonna talk about stuff that is interesting to them and those things aren't interesting to everybody. So they're going to come off weird and they're going to come off moving and odd and just cool. That's um, super interesting. I, I wonder if like, I mean, I, I, that makes total sense. And I'm wondering if like maybe this kind of, you know, the, the, the indie Renaissance or whatever of the last sort of 10, 15 years, I wonder if that's purely a kind of a, a function of, of teams becoming smaller, like, you know, the bigger a team gets, the harder it is for, all of these oh, different sure. artistic expressions to come out but if you've got a smaller and smaller team then it's just going to get more and more specific and therefore the games are going to be was, much broader that was, quite that was my go-to pitch when i would try to explain why what people like me were doing was important and why we had a voice and it was quite literally like when you work in a small team your voice is very loud and clear. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you are in a designer artist slash programmer environment, um, it's, it's, it's like a lot of the, a lot of the projects that I'm, that I work on are influenced by the programmers that I work with. But for the most part, they're clearly my voice and based on personal things and based around me. Yeah. And it, you can't, it, the really special ones usually come from that. It, it comes from this like one or two people having this conversation that feels personal that you could never get from a team of a hundred people because it's like a game of telephone. Like Absolutely. it doesn't matter how, how clear your, your vision is like the bigger your team gets, the less that somebody's going to understand and it's going to come through, you know, not as genuine as if it was just you. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, just going back to the Mimo example, like, you know, Zelda, even though Zelda is this, you know, gigantic blockbuster property now, it was a very personal game. It was based on Miyamoto exploring Kyoto as a kid and the feeling he got when he went out into the woods and stuff. And that's, it's just, you know, it's, it's become a mega hit and now it's been iterated on a thousand times, but that's the heart of the, the game. That's that when he talks about it, that's what it was based on, you know? Yeah, it's the exact same. Oh, thing. I, I, I definitely know because <laughs> that's what I based Tiny Isaac off of. That that was like that that story, and knowing that about him, and knowing that about the game, when I dove into what I thought was going to almost be not a parody, but like a just a a reference. I was gonna I was gonna basically remake the Legend of Zelda. Um. And put random generation in, you know, design-wise, that's essentially what I was setting out to do. Yeah. Um, 
and I wanted to play around with random generation. I didn't think anything would be happening with this game at all. And I thought, well, thematically, if I'm already referencing The Legend of Zelda, and I'm already obviously being so inspired by it, why not do exactly what he did and write about my childhood and write about that stuff? Um, and I did. I mean, it's just, I just did the same thing. Like, and, uh, oh, man, now I want everybody's version of The Legend of Zelda and everybody <laughs> to make their own version. That'd be, that'd be yeah, so that'd good. That'd be fucking amazing. That'd be, that, that, someone should do a game jam about that. Just the, the Legend of Zelda game jam. And it has to be Principles of Zelda <laughs> based on your childhood. Go. That'd be brilliant. It would be. Somebody should do that. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do uh, some quick fire questions, Evan. Re- relatively quick fire questions. Uh, are you good? Are you happy with that? I'm so happy with that. Excellent. Okay, Edmund, what game are you best at? Fuck. <laughs> I'm not really that good at game. I'm I'm the game that I'm best at is Magic the Gathering. So if you if you know if you you had to play a game with death, seven seal, yeah, just journey style, you play magic. Yep. That is the game that I am the most skilled at playing, and I'm not actually that great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not much of a game player, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, nothing else is coming to mind, so I assume that's it. Okay, like, okay. Um, what game, uh, if any, have you had to kind of uninstall and walk away from because it was starting to take over your life? Oh. Um, I played World of Warcraft with Danielle for a month and a half. I had to put that down and walk away from it. It was getting a little weird, but it was also kind of ruined. Um, I kind of went in with her wanting to play the game in the way it was intended and not know the probabilities and not know the drops, you know? Yeah. Um, And that was really fun for a month. And if it continued that way, I could have played it for forever. Um, But then a few friends were like, hey, you know, you should have this weapon for this character. And here, let me help you farm it. And it's like, okay, you ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) Totally ruined it. Animal Crossing is another one like that, too, where I could probably play that for forever um, daily. Um, but it's not as like addicting or compelling to play, I guess. I'm trying you, to think. You don't have the be... best weapons. I'd go with Magic the Gathering. <laughs> um, no, okay. I, would, I would never put that down and walk away from it. Never. <laughs> no, never. You can't. Um, nope. Uh, what game, if, if, you're, um, if you're prone to such things, what game... Has made you rage quit the worst. I want to be the guy. For me. Oh no! Sorry, you just cut off for a second there. Oh, you didn't hear me. I didn't hear you. Sorry. So what? What uh, was the my, game? My answer was was I want to be the guy. I don't know what I want to be the guy is. I thought I thought I, I got oh. that bit, and I thought that was just like the end, of the, <laughs> the beginning of a sentence. It's a really difficult. It's a stupidly difficult indie game. That doesn't play fair. Okay, what 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 does it entail? Um, it entails a little guy with a gun, and you like walk around, and then spikes randomly fall on you for no reason. <laughs> and you got to remember that that spike falls on you at that point in time. That doesn't sound fun. It is in a weird way, um, but it's frustrating. And I think I in the past when I first played it, I totally walked away from it. But then I later went back and kind of appreciated it again okay um this is a new one i've I've been trailing i'm not sure how how well it's going yet but is there or was there an area in a game that you played as a kid that you were convinced 
led somewhere or was a secret that just it never came to fruition um kind of yeah um mortal kombat 2 in the arcade was like the urban legend generator it really was yeah and like everybody every it was and it all for me it all revolved around the fact that someone said hey do you know you could turn somebody into a baby and i'm like yeah right and then they showed me and they do it i'm like okay that's interesting and then the next week i go back to the arcade and they're like you know you could turn somebody into a baby yeah yeah and it, yeah but do you know you could kill the baby and i'm like bullshit prove it and then he does and it was some bug where it was like if you play as baraka and you do a babality really fast it'll show the explosion twice but the baby will disappear the second time so it looks like you're uppercutting the baby and it's exploding. <laughs> and then from then on, it was just fucking chaos. It was like, <laughs> if you uppercut this character with this character at a certain point in the forest, and that was what it all revolved around, was the forest. In the forest, there were all these trees with big mouths, and it looked so appropriate for somebody to fall into the mouth of one of the trees. And I was convinced that at some point, someone would figure out how to knock the character into the mouth of the tree. And it never happened. I, I do remember that. I'm, I'm sure there was in one of the, the British video game magazines that was one of their April Fools. They they kind of they showed that happening, and everyone's like, "Look, it def- it's definitely true. I've seen it in a magazine. You can definitely do that." It it got around. It's a weird <laughs> one. Um, okay. Uh, next question: Has or, or what game rather has made you laugh the Games most? Games that come to my mind are like EnviroBear. Um, that's really funny. Uh, Surgeon Simulator. <laughs> Both of those games have really good senses sense of humor. Um, I mean, Katamari, um, WarioWare. These are excellent, excellent choices. Not not that I judge anyone on their choices; it's all subjective. <laughs> but they are excellent choices. I, yeah, nothing else is coming to mind. So, I mean, I, honestly, I think the humor in um, Fallout in the in the original uh, Fallout Two Fallout games is so funny and really dark. Uh, I appreciate the humor in those games, and I think I probably laughed out loud. Oh, I got one. The one from my childhood, uh, teenage years, uh, was there's a game called Redneck Rampage. Okay. <laughs> and the game starts with uh, one of the hicks saying, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and me and my cousin would just say that over and over and over again and thought it was hilarious. No, I, th- I think that is that is really hilarious. Oh, Conker's Bad Fur Day was legitimately funny at times. I've never played Conker's Bad Fur Day. It's it probably my... does not. It's not funny anymore. I can almost guarantee that it's not. But um, back then it was. And it was definitely ahead of its time when it came to like really raunchy humor. And it did loads of parodies and stuff. I remember that being one of the first yeah, yeah. games Everything that ever properly did that. Yeah. Um, I think you could like grab two cinder blocks and smash this robot's testicles. It's, yeah. Hilarious! Nintendo have never recovered. <laughs> um, so, so how when did the when did the games become like more serious or more like? Or, like, at what point did you feel like, okay, I make games, that's my job now? Um, I'm not like, uh, oh, I need to get like a real job soon. A year... Well, I always had another job. Like, um, 
I had a part-time job. So for like a good year and a half after making Gish, I didn't have a, a job. Okay. And uh, then I had, uh, I was like, oh shit, I'm not making enough money. I got to go back to freelance and I started doing more freelance work, illustration work, t-shirt work. Um, I, I did cover, cover work art for like a magazine. Um, I also did like character design for um, different companies and just random local stuff mostly to pay the bills. And I always did that on the side and I stopped doing it two years before Super Meat Boy. Um, and that was like kind of how I, I worked really, really, really hard on freelance. And then the next year I ended up getting this job, which I never speak of. It was for this company kind of like Greenpeace. Okay. Um, and they had me do a bunch of flash games with an, uh, another programmer, a friend of mine from back in the day. Um, and I think that year just off of those, I made like 32 grand, which was the most I've ever, I'd ever made. And I, that was the money I sat on for super meat boy. So like, I Why do you never speak that, of it though? Huh? Because it's really cringeworthy. It was awful. Okay. okay like okay. unimaginably bad schlock crap that was that I had to act like was good to these people. <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was bad. It was super bad. But it was my only my only option, and it was I survived off that money for for two years. And then while that was kind of running out right before Meat Boy released, I ended up releasing like five, four or five games one year that all had sponsorships, which, you know, made me enough money to float through Meat Boy development. And so, but was it, was Meat Boy like a kind of a thing that you were like, right, really need to do this? Like, was all that work in preparation to be like, I need to set aside some time and really... Yeah, it wasn't Meat Boy then though. It was just kind of... Quite literally, every every respected peer that I grew up with in this scene was releasing what you know in my world would be a blockbuster hit. Like, okay. like Tom Folt put down a game that I was working on with him to make a game called Alien Hominid, which <laughs> ended up being a console game, one of the first independent console games. Um, and then I worked on a game called Braid, <laughs> which ended up being really really big and popular and then friends of mine made a game called n and that made that was you know gangbusters and then this game called castle crashers came out which was also made by my friend tom and dan um so like all these it's personal amazing friends, how, like, how tight that whole community is like it's really i mean i suppose it's not amazing because you you tend to get that with most kind of artistic movements like regardless of the the kind of the genre and yeah, the, like all so. the all the kind of comedy stars of the eighties all kind of knew each other and did plays together in Canada and like, you know, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and all those yeah. guys and Rick Moranis, they were all just pals. And they all, I think, I think that tends to be what happens. And then in retrospect, you're like, Oh, they all knew each other. That's weird. Yeah. people, I get that a lot. There was this, they called it the Indie Illuminati. Yeah. Um, there was like this, this, this rumor that everybody was all tied together and i always tried to say like no nah, it's just like we're all friends and that's what one of the reasons why the igf and stuff gets so much flack for being corrupt it's it i mean it, you could say that it is because we are all we all know each other and all those people know each other and you know the games that are in it so it's kind of hard not to but it's because everybody loved something I mean, that, that's the argument against that all the time is that these are all people that really loved something and all wanted to do it and all came together to do it and so that it kind of makes sense like of course it's going to be like that 
almost like what how else could it happen just random people all working really hard and not kind of gene each other on in this thing that doesn't exist yet if you know what i mean yeah but yeah it was just kind of like all these people are doing this and how are they doing it they're doing it through xbox live yeah um and i made a game that won a lot of awards back in the day so i had a lot of street cred and then i made a bunch of really weird freeware games and flash that got around and it was at that point in time where i did i started to get contacted by a bunch of different people about um you know hey do you want to get on console hey do you want to do this hey do you want to do that i was like yes but i don't know how i'm going to be able to do this and initially it was gish i was going to make gish 2 um for xbox live and things kind of fell apart and tommy was actually working as the one of the programmers for gish uh or the gish remake it ended up being for xbox live and um when things fell through with with alex at the time uh we're like okay well i have this deal and they seem to just want to work with me on something it doesn't matter what it is and i had released this game called meat boy um a year before and it was my most popular game um it just got millions and millions of plays and uh it made sense to me that if i was going to bank on any project that i'd done in the past to remake for yeah. console that i had the most experience doing it would be meat boy it's a platformer i know how to make platformers um and it was safe so it was the safest yeah. <laughs> i should say i mean people weren't gonna invest in that project but it was safe enough for me to be like okay this seems like we could finish this and um tommy was was competent with uh with console design stuff like he'd worked on consoles before so just double down and go in and so it wasn't it wasn't like i had me boy lined up and that was what i was fighting for it was just i had opportunities yeah. that were being offered to me that i i wasn't going to chicken out i had to do it and i had to go as hard as i possibly could in order to maximize the outcome did you feel of, like uh, you had to like you felt like you had to sort of prove yourself almost were you ever like oh man like like everyone's oh, yeah, no, that's getting what it was. way ahead of me like, i need to I need it, do something totally what it was i did i did it's like everybody i knew did get this opportunity at some point um all the people that i respected that were legit game designers and i had a feeling that i would eventually get the chance and i fought to get the chance you know i pushed myself out there as much as i possibly could i did as many interviews as possible i talked about my work as much and as often as i possibly could because i wanted people to see that i cared um and i cared about making something and i did eventually get the opportunity and i couldn't fuck it up i did my best and um, that, that that makes for a compelling movie that that intensity <laughs> of the pretty much everything is on the line here like that that is one of the, the key reasons that movie is so compelling and so like well thought of and amazing is because it's like this is this is my all of my art artistic endeavors have led to this point and it's kind of yeah. make or break like that i'd you... like to think that i if i failed i may get an i may have gotten another chance um but you must have I'm thought not... that you must have thought through like what happens if this fails uh, yeah for sure i mean and, and it was quite literally i mean there were 
many difficult times at night where, thank God, I had, you know, Danielle there as like a sounding board because, you know, Tommy was pretty doom and gloom. And once I got doom and gloom, somebody needed to talk me off the roof when it comes to, you know, giving up. Like there were so many times where I just wanted to just give up and it seemed like there's no way we were going to finish it. And even if we did, people were going to be let down. And, uh, yeah, the moment it was, it was the moment that we started getting good press and I started to get scared and thinking like, well, what if this isn't going to live up to this? Like I almost much rather not have anybody look at this and tell me like, this is going to be the next, whatever, you know, don't say that. Like, I remember when John Blow played the game and said, this is, this is going to do as well as braid. And I'm like, don't fucking say that. <laughs> like, don't get, don't give me those kind of like, I don't want to be let down. Cause I know for a fact that it won't. Um, and, uh, yeah, did it? It I don't even know if it did. it did. It must've got pretty close if it didn't. I don't know. <laughs> of course, you know, but that's fine if you don't want to say. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> really I swear don't to know. God, I don't. I I could not tell you right now how many copies Meat Boy has sold. No idea. I don't look at numbers. I couldn't tell you how many copies Binding of Isaac sold. Don't care. It's not a thing that that like is something that I think about. Other people will sometimes remind me, yeah, um, and update me on this information. But no, I'm I've been out of the loop for for two years probably. I heard one sec. Let me close my door. There's a. But yeah, I really don't know. Um, I'm not a numbers chaser, and I don't. It just doesn't doesn't really, I guess, motivate me or make me happy. Do you still have that feeling of like wanting to to prove yourself, though? Like you know, you you've reached a certain level of success. Do you, you know, like right? Well, I have to maintain this now. Or do you kind of like not like I'm done now, but you know, you've you've achieved, you know. I'm lot, I'm in a weird, so. a weird situation right now, um, and um, I think it's best explained where I feel like I'm kind of starting again. Um, I'm working on a few projects with friends of mine whom I can't take as big of a risk with because these people are investing their time um, and future in these projects. So... They can't be too crazy. You know what I mean? And I feel like, once again, it's kind of like this ebb and flow. Like with, with Super Meat Boy, there was this like, gotta play it safe, gotta play it safe, and see if there's a payoff. Okay, there's a payoff. Now what, we're going to plateau out here. Now what do I do? Now I can afford to take a big risk. So that's Binding of Isaac, and that was my big giant risk, right? Yeah. But it ended up somehow working, whatever. Um, and I want to get to a, a place where I can take bigger risks with people. And that's where the value is for me. Like that's where a lot of the, um, a lot of the drive, I think. So it's like, yeah, you're still trying to freak out your flash teacher. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like I, I, I feel like I'd be doing, I'd be doing everybody a disservice by not pushing the envelope and not, offering something that isn't being offered. Um, and at times I feel a little guilty when I'm working on stuff that is a little safe for me. Yeah. But I mean, other people probably wouldn't even view it as safe. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, compared to the other stuff that I've done or um, plan on doing in the future. But, um, so that's kind of where I'm at. Like, I, I can't say I care much about what people think 
um, about staying relevant or anything like that. But there's a part of me that I was actually talking to Florian about this just today. Um, he was kind of like, you know, do you ever feel worried about stuff that you're working on? Do you ever feel like it's not going to live up to whatever? Or do you, do you worry about if you're going to keep making games or whatever else? And like, I have no idea what I'll do. Like right now I'm at a point where I would much rather spend time with my family than work. Yeah. Um, I don't have to work like that. That's, that's a reality. Like I, I don't really have to be doing this. Um, but I do this to stay sane. Like my wife can attest to the fact that I'm not a pleasant person to be around if I'm not being creative. And I'm a very pleasant person to be around when I'm feeling creative, fulfilled, like creatively full. Like I'm great. Yeah. Like that's me at a 10, you know, and I want to do fun things and, you know, live life. But so for me, especially with having, having a one-year-old now and having this whole new life, I'm just kind of finding this, this balance of like, how do I do this? What does this new life mean? Like I, I need to find the boundaries. Yeah. How, how much can I work without feeling guilty or neglecting my daughter and my wife. And that's pretty much the name of the game. Um, and maybe that means once the projects, once the heavy heavy lifting projects that I'm currently doing are done, maybe that means that I do just more design work yeah. and I do less hands-on work. You know, maybe, it, maybe things will get easier and, you know, maybe I'll be able to find good grooves to, you know, just, just, just ride. But um, I'm starting to get I'm starting to get comfortable again, like, and I'm starting to get to where I want to take bigger risks with the projects that I'm working on, um, but I don't know when I'll be able to do it. It's a good place to be, though. I mean, all things considered, that's a very good place to be. Oh, I'm, I'm not complaining. No, 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 I'm absolutely. De definitely not complaining. I'm just... I'm just figuring it out. I mean, just like anybody else. Like, I'm yeah. I mean, it, it's it's everyone is is unique, and it is it's it's an it's an interesting considering like the the, the kind of the story so far to be in this position now. It's it's it must be like so alien and so familiar, kind of all at once in a weird way. Yeah, it's it's really odd. I mean, the, I think the life of a creator. I, I wish I knew. Well, I know I do I do know a lot of creative people, but I maybe I need more to have more meaningful conversation with said creative people because I think it I think it's probably a pretty common thing to have this like inner war against what you feel you need to do to stay happy and you're fulfilling real life. Yeah, I mean I think uh, that gets especially trickier the older you get. And then when when you're it, like as I said, you're in such a unique position where you don't have to like mo I, like I know lots of creative people, and a lot of them it is a case of just I just need to get that one thing done where I can kind of you know quit my part time job or I can you know not have yeah. to worry about my rent for a year or so and just have that kind of space and sort of re reassess, and that that choice itself becomes very very difficult the older you get. And you know, people start buying houses and cars, and you're like, "Oh man, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if I can have enough to rent this month." But you know, but have have to have that same kind of drive and impetus, but then also have the option to basically say, "I, oh, you know, I could just do nothing," but but know that that's not the place you want to be going at all. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, there's a few things that I do know. It's just uh, 
I know, I know that I need to be creative, but I also know that it doesn't need to be games. Yeah. And I know that my family is just a lot more important than work. Yeah. And I could totally toss this all one day and, and focus on what's more important if, if, um, if it needs to happen, you know? Well, I want to go back slightly to like uh, one of the things I, I sort of mentioned in the opener of the show is, is I ask people about games that have soothed wounds. So if you're, let's say when you were developing Meat Boy or something, if there was a particularly sort of dark day and, you know, you're saying people have to sort of talk you down off the roof sort of thing, is there yeah. is there games you go to uh, or are there games you go to as a kind of comfort blanket almost or just like, oh, this is why games are brilliant. This is why I love them. I don't think I ever have a problem about games not feeling inspired and brilliant and cool. Um, the games I tend to go back to are like the familiar ones from my childhood and the ones that we've taught, the ones that have come up, like all the games that I've mentioned, they're all like pivotal games for me that would you actually play them though? Yeah, like would, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I like routinely play Legend of Zelda. I usually play through it um, every year or two, all the way. And uh, the original Fallout's, I usually get halfway through it. <laughs> I like, get the wild hair to be like, I want to do an all all melee, no intelligence build. Let's go. Um, um, definitely do that and. Yeah, I still do play a lot of games. Has any um, recent games kind of joined those those hallowed ranks? I, I can't say for sure. You know, years have to pass for me to really know. But yeah. um, uh, I'm trying to think of stuff that we've played recently. Well, what's been good? Um, Overwatch is really good. Oh, it's amazing. That seems like that seems like a staple. Like it seems, it seems like, I mean, I could be going too far and saying that it's a fucking amazing, and it seems amazing. It seems like I keep waiting really until I get bored of it, and I just I don't. It just doesn't <laughs> yeah. get boring. It's it's one of those ones too that I forget about, like you know, work and whatever else, and then my wife will turn it on and we'll end up, you know, trading off and uh, playing all night long. And as long as they keep updating it, it seems really seems fucking cool. Yeah, Overwatch is a big one. Um, uh, the Witness was really great. That was a really great experience. I um, I was a beta tester on it, mm -hmm. and um, I actually asked John to just not include me anymore because I it was one of those games where I wanted to play like a real person and not like a developer. Yeah. And it was nice to finally... I mean, of course, I was spoiled on a lot of stuff um, when it came to big picture things um, in the game because it's kind of how he pitched it, pitched the idea. And uh, it still was great. And it was amazing to watch people play and see people. Like, like I watched my um, niece and nephew play it, and they're quite young. Um, I think she was like nine and seven. Um, and are they looking at the answers on YouTube? No, they, <laughs> they, are, they are those kind of kids. But they were just uh, like my niece, who's 10 now, um, wants to be a, a streamer you know that's what kids do nowadays course, they all want yeah, who, who wouldn't they want to play video games and do commentary and uh i was like okay well it was around i think it was close to her birthday um and i was like okay well here you can you can do a stream off of my my uh my channel or whatever i think it was my wife's channel and she streamed herself doing commentary going in blind playing the witness not knowing anything and it was pretty pretty awesome to see 
Witness is a weird one because I remember playing it at the time and kind of feeling slightly underwhelmed, I guess. I mean, there were certainly moments where I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. Like the the sound puzzles, I remember particularly just feeling like, oh, I'm the, I'm the smartest man in the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just such a good feeling. But, there, uh, but kind of overall, I remember thinking, oh, this isn't quite what I thought. But as time passes... I, I constantly think about it. it. It's one of those weird games that has really sort of got stuck in my head. Just the yeah. just the location itself as well. Just the the actual environment is just yeah. for some reason really sort of stuck with me as a, as a place. Yeah, he. I could I could totally understand the feeling of being underwhelmed by the realization that most of the game is trace puzzles. Yeah, which seems to be like the consensus for. You know, hey, you know, I don't, I don't like to witness because this. Um, but there's those puzzles are presented in such a way that it's so interesting from a design perspective. It's just, you know, like John Blow is teaching the player in a way that is kind of um, akin to how I think most people live life in a correct way. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> judgmental. You know, you, it, it is, I don't know, it's kind of, I, I feel like the whole game is extra interesting too, because I know John, so I, I, it feels like a, I get to walk through his brain yeah, and see how he looks at everything and, um, but see, and that, how he looks. That's one of the reasons why, like, I wanted to do this show so much is because knowing people just don't know enough about developers, I don't think at all. And it adds so much to it to have that those kind of background stories like it, it you you enjoy well i mean maybe maybe not maybe again this is me projecting onto the rest of the world but i enjoy movies a lot more if i know about the people who made it if i know about the writer if i know about the directors yeah. if i know about the actors and what they bring to it that it just gives it that whole extra level of enjoyment for me it's true i mean and there's definitely something missing there like there's so many weird, subtle things that I've experienced because I know the developer Yeah, that I know other people won't. But, yeah, I don't know. It's like like the character designs in um, all the Behemoth games. They all look like Dan. <laughs> like, no one, <laughs> no one knows that until they see him, until they sat and ate dinner with him, and they've seen how he speaks and the way his mouth is and the way his eyes are. And, like you start to realize, wait a minute, they all look like him. <laughs> like, <laughs> they all do. And I think in, in a way, a lot of my stuff does as well. It like looks like me in some way. Um, and, uh, or just like um, Tyler, or Tyler, oh my God, I'm so brain dead. Um, oh, forget it. <laughs> my brain just went, just kaput. Uh <laughs> That's Names. a four AM wake up. That's fine. Um, talking to streamers, do you do you watch streams? Um, not no, not much anymore. Not anymore. I so you did. Like, um, yeah. Well, back in the day, I used to watch people play Binding of Isaac, um, especially uh, when it came out. Yeah, because it was very interesting to see. And whenever like a new expansion comes out, I'll I tend to watch some streams because I want to see people see new stuff and interact with it but like i mean that's kind of an, an extension of your job almost that's kind of like play testing in in a certain way you don't ever watch yeah. just streams for fun i don't watch streams for fun 
I mean, I'm having fun watching people play my game, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Of course you would. My, my, wife, my wife plays Binding of Isaac a lot, still. <laughs> and it's always really fun to walk in on that. Um, it's, it's like a... It's living outside my body at this point in time, though. It really feels like it's not a part of me anymore. The, the, it feels its own thing. This is this is something I saw on your, your Twitter a few days ago, that um, the, the sheriff from Stranger Things was a big Binding of Isaac, Isaac fan, and he would watch the stream as well. <laughs> what the fuck? It's amazing. Like, do you, you must have that... Like I, I don't know, I don't know how often that is, and is that weird? It, it, it was the first time I'd ever really sort of seen that kind of interaction with, like, oh, here's the that guy from that hit TV show and this kind of cool indie game. Like, does that it's, is that it's still really weird. exciting? It's but, it's um for sure, like, of course it will. I don't know why that I find that surprising. Like, they're just regular people. Of course, they're going to watch games yeah, and play but video like, games. I remember thinking, especially after the movie and stuff, you know, like, oh, like. Will will musicians and filmmakers that inspired me to make games will they see this and think, "Hey, I would entertain this person meeting me." You know what I mean? Like maybe I would get to meet <laughs> my heroes because this movie that people have seen, you know, it makes you more somehow legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I remember. I got lucky enough to, I think I said in a stream or something, um, that I really love the Melvins, the band, the Melvins, Mm -hmm. um, Mike Patton and Ipic Hack Records just in general. And, um, one of the listeners contacted, uh, Greg, uh, one of the Ipic Hack guys and informed him that I'm a big Melvins fan. And he emailed me, he's like, Hey, you want to meet him? And they were, I mean, yes, of course. And I got to go backstage and meet him. And I had this kind of profound realization that I'm a fucking dork. <laughs> <laughs> and these are rock stars. And uh, yeah, some of them play video games, but they don't fucking care. It just doesn't like I'm going to sit down and explain to some musician uh, who's, you know, 15, 20 years older than me that how music and songwriting inspired the way I design a game like <laughs> just not gonna happen like and i i just have to live with that knowing that <laughs> but as much as you say that i think if, if if the age difference was the other way it would be totally fine and they would yeah, be for sure. so and I'm, jazzed that's what I'm hoping, to meet you like down the road like i the other day um the the head writer for black mirror um oh, charlie brooker yeah uh James informed me that he had done a movie or some sort of something that referenced Super Meat Boy, and he actually said Super Meat Boy in it. So he knows what the game is. Oh, you know, he's, and, he, he used to be a video game journalist. Like he's, yeah, he's so a, like, a real video and game I think he's one of the most amazing writers around, and Black Mirror is one of the greatest shows, I mean, since Twilight Zone. Like, oh, absolutely. Um, and that's really cool. Maybe he's listening and wants to be friends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, but yeah, it's um, it's it's weird. But yeah, I hope I hope as time passes and um, if I'm still around, uh, they'll be I'll get to you know talk with other people that have inspired me. And uh, I mean, it's weird because it, I think I think part of that is like I was saying like earlier about how. Like when I was younger, be, like loving video games was like a super niche thing. Like I wanted to kind of 
protect myself almost and do it do it in secret because I didn't want anyone to find out and make fun of me or you know <laughs> make my life worse than it already was essentially or my social capital at least. But yeah, you you kind of carry that worldview with you even though now like it's just it's no big deal at all. Like in in Black Mirror, for instance, there was they they um, have you seen the new ones? Like, it's not, not all of them. It's not a spoiler. It, this, it, this is specifically for the video game one. They had. Um, mocked up edge magazines i was yep. like oh okay. man it's edge that's so exciting that's amazing this yep. is edge magazine i actually thought too like going into that episode i remember thinking all right video games i i do believe they're not gonna fuck this up because everybody else does they always fuck up the whole video game environment but i would say like 20 years from now 15 20 years from now or in an alternate universe of now um that whole environment is very hipster indie. Yes. Like the way that whole thing looked was correct. <laughs> like usually that doesn't happen. And uh, I thought that that was uh, pretty funny. Yeah. But, yeah. but it's, it's kind of, it, it's so not mainstream because I don't think mainstream doesn't really exist anymore. There's just a million little buckets of things everywhere. Yeah. Um, but, but still it's just like, I don't know. It's just the, these kind of like sense memories of being a kid, but you forget that just everybody plays games now. They're just another thing. Yeah. It's, it is weird. It's good. The whole nerd thing is really weird. Like I remember thinking, I remember I look around now and thinking, Jesus Christ, where were all these nerd girls when I was young? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, like, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> When, 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 when I was young, it's just me and all the dudes, yep. like nerdiest nerds around and no girl wanted to even associate with any of us. Like, and now there's like legitimate girls that it's not like fair. these things. It's really not fair. Like yeah. even I, I see this in bars as well. Like I was talking about this bar. Like I grew up, my, my brother used to run a bar and I worked in there since I was like 15 or something. And, and it was like, it was, a, it was an indie music bar. So there was like bands on and it was... 80% just a bunch of dudes like me and then I go back there now and it's just full of just beautiful people maybe that's just me being older <laughs> and kind of misremembering but I'm sure there was there weren't this many but like boys and girls everyone is just like where are all the kind of like fat long-haired dudes like, I don't understand <laughs> it is, what's it is, happened it's so changed I remember trying to explain to somebody what a real nerd was and <laughs> trying to reference it now it's like even with like people who play magic are pretty fucking nerdy and they, they're pretty more traditional nerd. Yeah. But there's this game called Warhammer. I don't know if you're aware of it. Oh, of course. It's yeah. a miniature game. Okay. Those people are the nerds that we grew up with. And they're like the dinosaurs of that era. Like that's, that's what that is. Like you go, go to, go to a Warhammer shop and, uh, or go, or go to some Warhammer tournament and you'll really get an idea of the type of person that like when I was young, and the nerds were sometimes the worst, and they were bullies. Like, oh, if you awful were, people, yeah. Awful. If, you, if you weren't the smartest nerd of the bunch, holy shit. Like, <laughs> I've, been, I've been, you know, roughed up by people um, growing up, but nothing compared to his name was Tristan. And um, he would level me. Like, I would just ask him a simple question, and he would just come back and just make me feel and look like the biggest idiot in the world. And I just hated this guy. And he was the most frail, puny guy in the world. But <laughs> for, he, he ran the roost he's of the nerds. And he was the land man. So, like, he's the one who had to hook all the computers up for us to play. So no one's going to fuck with him. But, man, <laughs> hardcore, you know, 80s kid nerds, man. Yeah, no. It's a different exactly. world. It is definitely a different world. And no, 
yeah, like I play Magic today, like uh, on Fridays or whatever. Go play at the mall, and they'll have like a D and D club in the back room. And I look over there, and it's like fifty percent women. It's, it's like it's insane. What? Will what? We, Will Wheaton and Felicia Day—they just changed everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess so. They made it's, it okay. Um, um, well, listen, I don't want to take too much time. This has been so much fun. Um, is there anything, anything that sort of hasn't come up that you wanted to mention? Uh, I don't think so. I've been. I mean, this is the first uh, like podcasty interview type thing that I've done in quite a while. I probably should start doing them more. It's just you know life. Oh, thanks um, very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. But yeah, it's it's fun to to talk. I just haven't. It's been one of those things where like a lot of the projects that I've been working on have either been in limbo or, I mean, I I feel like stasis. You working a lot of on things limbo? Just... <laughs> yeah, <that's> not... <laughs> so I haven't had much to talk about, and I feel like, you know, in the next in the next six months to a year, I'll be releasing a lot of interesting things and uh, want to start talking about them, but um, can't talk about them yet. But uh, yeah, I hope to be, you know, doing more exciting blog posts in the future. And I think next year is going to be a pretty cool, interesting, creative year for me. I look forward to it. And you, what is your, you can share your Twitter handle because I think you have a very, uh, very good Twitter feed. Like Twitter is kind of almost done, but it's very good. Yeah, it's whatever. Uh, (laughs) Uh, it's just Edmund McMillan. I finally got my name back, and they verified me too, so that was cool. But everybody's verified now, so it doesn't matter. I'm not verified. <laughs> Do you know? I I actually I went. I I should have done it at the time. A couple of years ago, I did a thing, just like on a whim. I thought it'd be fun to try and meet everybody who followed me on Twitter. Um, and oh, I didn't nice. have that many followers. It was like 150 people or something. Um, and so I started doing it, and it was it was just it was brilliant. I got to meet so many cool people, and then towards the end of it. I, I one of the people who followed me happened to be somebody who worked for the BBC, which is a big uh, public broadcasting company in Britain, and uh, the story ended up going viral, and it, it just became this big international news thing just for like a couple of days. Um, but you know, it was big enough for me to be able to do a show about. It, and I went to Twitter, I went to the Twitter offices in London, and I met with them, and I gave did the show for them, and I did a few corporate things, and I was like, they I sh- they should take me, right? I was like, should I ask them? <laughs> And I, while I was there, I was I was talking to my girlfriend on the phone, thinking like, should I ask? Like, because they've given me a goodie bag of like, you know, a cup and some stickers and stuff. But should I just ask for a tick? Because that'd be cool, right? And I didn't, and I never did. And now I really regret it because of the, the kind of the the whatever grain swell just, I had has kind of gone away from that now. That was years ago. You could get it now. You could get it now. I probably could. So I should get in touch. Just I think go, some of them just fill out their form. Me. Just fill out their form, and it, it'll take a few weeks. I saw the form. Yeah, I saw the form. Now I'm not that fussed. I don't mind not being verified. It's fine. I don't. I, that again, the, the Black Mirror thing. Watching that that five star episode. Yeah. It's like, oh god, this is too real. This. Yeah, I, that I, one was oh, I don't like it. So yeah. yeah, I'm trying to stay away from that now. Um. Well, on that rather bleak um, existential note, I'm going to leave it there. But that was brilliant, Edmund. Thanks so much. No problem.
Yes. Take it.